starting. <laughs> I make noises sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but if you don't know, RUF is a Christian campus ministry at UNC, and it exists here for the convinced and the unconvinced. It exists for the believer and the skeptic. Uh, for the bad kid and the good kid, for responsible get-things-done people who turn in multiple paper drafts, as well as irresponsible people who turn in just one final draft as they're running across campus and it's not stapled in, it looks like a mess. We're here for all kinds of people. We're here for every scene. Um, Wherever you come from, however your background is from Christianity, um, whether you hate it or don't know anything about it or you love it, um, we're here for you. And so, in other words, whoever you are, Welcome. Thanks for coming. If you're new here or if you invited someone new, uh, thank you especially for taking the time to do those things tonight. Um, I guess it's because the Super Bowl is coming up, but I've been thinking a lot about uh, Super Bowl commercials lately and how much fun they are. And you know, They're usually the funniest commercials of the year. They're the ones where they kind of put all the big advertising bucks in there because they know we're watching. And there was one a few years ago that Snickers did of these guys playing football out in the mud, and on the field is this, kind of from a distance you see her, this old lady with kind of white hair and a floral tracksuit. And she's running around, and she's trying to catch the ball, but she's too slow. And they throw the ball to her, and she just, she's too weak and just misses her hands. She can't reach out and grab it. And then she just, like, gets nailed and tackled. And, and the camera zooms in her face, and you see, oh, my goodness, this is Betty White from the Golden Girls. <laughs> and she pops up. Because it's a commercial, she's not hurt. And she's in kind of the huddle with the guys. And the guy's just like, what is your deal? And she's like, dude, what? And he's like, you're playing like you're Betty White out there. And she gets flustered and she makes some sort of comment. And someone hands her a Snickers, obviously. And they say, eat this. And she takes it. And immediately she goes from being Betty White to this really young athletic guy ready to play. And then a tagline comes on in the bottom of the screen. You're not yourself when you're hungry. You're Betty White, I guess. (laughs) And spiritually speaking, though, I think our that kind of touches on a lot of our problems, which is usually our situation is not our roommates, it's not our parents, it's not our classes, it's not that our BMI is too high, it's not that things aren't working out in that group project that we signed up for. That our problem isn't our situation. It's that you're hungry, and that you're not yourself when you're hungry. That you're weaker than you should be, you're tired when you should be strong. You miss things you know you could probably catch. We can walk through life spiritually starving, but when you're hungry, you just aren't you. And I think a lot of times we can say that I live by His grace, and that can kind of be an answer for us for almost like a Bible test, but it actually has to impact the way that we live our daily lives. I just want to say this is not a new thing that God's people have struggled with. It's like, great, I'm saved by grace. What does that mean? How do we actually put legs on that as kind of a tangible reality for us? And so tonight... I think that this sermon is going to sound incredibly crazy to some of y'all. And it's going to be essentially this. It's take a Sabbath. Take a Sabbath. We can say, I live by grace. I'm satisfied by God's promise that he's going to take care of me, body and soul. But then we can not actually live that way. Because just as someone who's almost 32 now, I'm entering my Shaquille O'Neal year. And that's right. Jordan is 23. <laughs> uh, but I'm 32. I've been, I've been a Christian now for like 15 years, something like that. Uh, not quite that long, like 13 years. Um, but just as someone who's been a Christian here, I just want to say that the long haul of enjoying being a Christian and actually grow and to live in the story the Bible is telling 
You just need more than a couple of good quiet times a month and a list of the commandments. Like, you need a regular experience of God's grace and to rest in that grace. And I think that to do that, you really have to have a Sabbath. So before we begin, I want to define my terms. I want to say that the, that the Sabbath is, and I didn't pull this from anything, it's just kind of like what I gathered from random readings and things like that, but I think it's a working definition. The Sabbath is the discipline of regular uncluttered time and space to deal with God and to enjoy his goodness. That the Sabbath is the discipline of regular, uncluttered time and space to deal with God and to enjoy his goodness. So tonight I want to talk about three things. Three things. I want to talk about the reason for the Sabbath. I want to talk about the difficulty of the Sabbath. I want to talk about the glory of the Sabbath. The reason, difficulty, and glory of the Sabbath. So first, reason. Look at this passage here. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. It's kind of in the middle right there. What's that referring to? It's referring to the story of creation in Genesis, right? Like where God approaches this dark, formless void. He speaks the fullness of life and beauty and light where there's been only empty darkness. And the Genesis story sets up the pattern of God working six days. There's evening and morning, evening and morning. And finally on the sixth day, God makes the crown of creation, man and woman, in his image. And on the seventh day, he rests. Why does an all-powerful God need to rest? He doesn't. He doesn't need to. Then why does he do it? Because in creating the world and setting up its order and then resting, he's showing us a pattern for what it means to be made in his image and to live in such a way to say that I'm not God, you're God. And to live sanely, right? (laughs) Work six days, make, do, create, order the world, and on the seventh day, rest and enjoy everything that's come before. God didn't have to make the world. He could have been perfectly content by himself, not making anything, but he made it and gave it to us as a gift, and the Sabbath is a day to enjoy the gift of the world that God made and gave to us. It's a day to honor the limits that God put on us as people, Say, he's God, I'm not, which means I need a nap, like, at least once a week, right? Later in Deuteronomy, Moses gives another reason for why the Sabbath is such a big deal. He says that Israel has to honor it because when they were slaves in Egypt, they got no rest. Their masters always made them work. And slavery is always dehumanizing, but part of what makes it so bad is that your value is no longer in just being a person. That you're only as good as your work. And so, they couldn't rest because they're slaves, And the Sabbath day is there to help remind us that we're not defined by our work, but we're defined by God freeing us from slavery and redeeming us. The Sabbath is part of becoming human again. All right, think about what effect this must have for people like us. Because American culture is so fast-paced. We invented the microwave so dinners could be like Hot Pockets and popcorn and Pop-Tarts. Like, it's all pop, 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 right? <laughs> but God doesn't live by the microwave. And He didn't design you to live by that way either. And the Sabbath was made so that you could have space to be a person. And so that you would be reminded that you aren't defined by your work. And just think about all the things that are trying to define you in your week in and week out. As, just, as a person. Your thoughts, your affections, the things that you're doing. And when you take your thoughts, your affections, the stuff you do, you kind of get who you are. Like all the things that are trying to tell you who you are through the commercials you hear, the articles you read online, the music you listen to, the movies and TV you consume, the sometimes frantic pace of being in college, all these things are shaping you every day. And the Sabbath is God saying, you need a day to just be a person and be shaped by me. 
And this means that Sabbath isn't just a day to goof off. It's a day to be formed by God and His Word. And yes, to rest. But to rest in such a way that we're shaping more of the person that God made us to be. To not just say, okay, yeah, I live by grace. But to experience and be molded by what it means to live by grace. And then to go out and work and God and shape the world and bless it based on that. And this puts resting in God's work and enjoying the world at the center of who we are. You know, I think what can be so messed up um, sometimes about the way that we experience Christianity is that sometimes we can hear kind of a sermon on any of the other commandments, like don't steal, don't lie, honor your mom and your dad. And we can say, yeah, I need to do that. Mm, going to go do it. But then we, hear, we can hear a sermon on God's command to take a Sabbath and rest and go, enjoy God's creation. And it can feel like, ah, I don't really know if I've got time for that in my schedule. Right? So many things are shaping what we think or feel or do all the time. And we can take part in these things about thinking what they're doing to us. But when you think about what you want your life to look like with God in the next six months or the next year or even the next ten years, what do you think about? Like, how are you going to get there? Because for many of us, the question isn't so much, what are the things I need to be doing? Like, do I need to pray? Do I need to meditate on Scripture? Do I need to be with God's people and maybe go to church? Like, yes, of course. Most of you don't need me to tell you that stuff. But for most of us, the question is not what do I need to do, it's how do I need to do it. And the Bible's answer, its command, is take a Sabbath. If that means that you need to figure out how to have the foresight to work hard on Saturday, even though everybody's playing and nothing's due until Monday, then you need to do that. But I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult. The Sabbath is a difficult thing. Uh, Judith Shulevich, uh, in a New York Times article, she wrote a decade ago, which means it's even more accelerated now. She wrote an article called Bring Back the Sabbath. And she wrote about deciding to take a Sabbath and return to some of her Jewish roots because her weekends just weren't restful. Like She was kind of moping around. She had days off, but they didn't feel restful. And her answer, she writes, came later when she says, It was only much later after I joined the synagogue and changed my life in a million other unforeseen ways that I developed a theory about my condition. Why do my weekends stink even though like they're a weekend? She says, in the Darwinian world of the New York 20-something, everything, even socializing, reading, or exercising, felt like work or the pursuit of work by other means. This has become the norm. This is 10 years ago, y'all. And the Sabbath, the one day in seven dedicated to rest by divine command, has become the holiday Americans are most likely never to take. What's she putting her finger on there? It's hard to rest because I should be maxing all of my time. Am I getting the maximum from my social life and going out? Am I getting the maximum from the like little tidbits that I'm reading like here and there? Am I maxing out how I'm exercising, getting toned as possible? Even the things I do to play are really so I can feel like my time is 100% efficient. But when you max out all your time, what does that do to you as a person? You know, somebody once told me there are four quadrants to a UNC student. And it's kind of like, they describe it as kind of like a pie chart. Where there's school, and there's extracurriculars, and there's staying fit, and then there's fun social over here. But as I've got to, to be here and kind of live in this myself, I don't think that it's a pie chart with like fixed boundaries. I think that a lot of times we treat it more like in math class where like there's, there's those quadrants. I was terrible at math. I think it's quadrants, right? And, <laughs> and all those different directions kind of go out for infinity. Like when do you know that you're done? Like, what are the boundaries that you set on yourself? When do you know that you're satisfied and you're full and you're not hungry anymore for other things? 
this can, I think we can be left kind of chasing these things and feeling like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, but every measurable, I'm crushing it. It's not like I'm not being affirmed. I'm being super affirmed. Why then is my experience of my life just so hard? Like, why do I feel worn out? Why is my hair falling out? Why am I getting sick all the time? I hate to complain. I'm not a complainer, but this is miserable. Has that ever been your experience? That work as hard as I can possibly work, play as hard as I possibly could play, crash harder than I ever thought I could crash, right? And on some level, I think everybody experiences it. I'm sick right now because I think I work like 40 hours in the first three days of the week. It's just in the water here, y'all. It's just what it is, I think, at times to be an American. Look at verse 12 here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Y'all, what is this a picture of, right? Like, why does this come right after all this Sabbath talk? It's a picture of God's people as this kind of sacrifice, with God's word hovering over it, over them, making them ready to live a sacrificial life for them. Like, who here doesn't want to do great things? Or who here in their ideal life of themselves has a life that matters deeply to the world? And if you're a Christian, matters in God's kingdom. And as this writer ties that to the Sabbath, what does his recommendation seem to be? Go on some huge summer project? Quit school and be a missionary? No. Like, if you want to live a life of sacrificial obedience, then spend a regular day resting and being shaped by God's word. Like, that's his rep right there, right? And our problem is that so often the idol of work, the idol of all the things I can do for God, or that I think that I can do for God, can just slip into our hearts and be the chief marker of who we are. Like, how often we stood in front of Davis and kind of humble bragged about how much homework we have to do. Right? I've got all this Spanish homework. I've got these two essays to write. I've got these like 80 pages to read. And your friend like tops you and you're like deflated, right? (laughs) Is that your experience? That's been mine. Well, that was mine in college anyway. What's below that? What's below that? The thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's the thing that God's word pierces. The things we don't necessarily want to know, that we can hide from ourselves, which God sees. You know, you could spend the whole rest of your life in counseling and not get to the depths of who you are. But you know what's especially threatening to our avoiding our own thoughts and intentions and where am I going, why am I doing the things I want to do? Having a day where we routinely examine our hearts and allow God's word to pierce us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to mold us, to shape us, to guide us, to build us up. To people who have a tendency to be perfectionist, I think this can sound like death, but I assure you it's not. It's the opposite. It's life. Some of y'all are thinking, I just want to get out there and make a difference. Look, if you want to be like totally countercultural and weird and do something great for God's kingdom and just be ridiculously, absurdly, offensively Christian on this campus, take a Sabbath and invite other people to do the same thing. Modern American culture just does not have categories for stuff like this. On the other hand, if you're interested in Christianity here and you really kind of are trying to figure out what does this mean and you want to start to get a sense of not just what do Christians believe but what does it feel like? What is the Christian life supposed to feel like? Then let me say take a Sabbath. Go with someone to church. 
eat a good lunch with them, enjoy the day with them, and learn deep down in your bones what it feels like to receive the grace of time and not have to max everything out, but simply to receive a gift of a day and to enjoy that day. A Sabbath is all about God's gracious gift to his people. I mean, just name another religion where the God of that religion says, you want to be faithful to me? Then just rest and enjoy being with me and enjoy being with people. Like, how gracious is that? How awesome is that? Find friends who will take a Sabbath with you. You cannot do this on your own. You just can't. It was never meant to be taken on its own. Don't treat a Sabbath as a day, like a day off where we just kind of mess around. But treat it as a day to both rest and be shaped by God's word, by prayer, by his people. Go to bed at a reasonable time on Saturday night, whatever that time would be. But just reasonable enough for you to get up and go to church on Sunday morning. Go to church with some friends, maybe your community group, which you're going to sign up for afterwards. Uh, (laughs) Eat a good meal with these people. Enjoy something where you unplug from social media and kind of the deluge that that is. Maybe go for a hike or a run. Play something outside. We spend so much time reading and writing. Like, if you want to, volunteer with the Arboretum and get your hands dirty. Like, cutting things out of the ground, planting bulbs, whatever. Maybe play a board game with your friends. We played, uh, Angry, was it Exploding Kittens last night? Super fun. I highly recommend it. No kit- kittens are harmed. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> take a long nap. Just take a long nap and know that this is okay. This is my day for napping. Whatever you do, spend time by yourself, reading, praying, and then do something that you enjoy that you don't normally do. And just think about how this would affect your friendships. Think about that. To spend a day like this together with your buddies, no agenda, no workload for the day, just us together enjoying Chapel Hill, like that's that's like what you're going to look back on in 30 years and be like, that was college. That was awesome. But whatever you do, rest and be shaped by God's word on your behalf. Because you know what this is really about, don't you? That it's about entering God's rest and living in the story of Jesus. That that is the glory of the Sabbath. That the second person of the Trinity, God himself became a man and did all the work that God demanded of us so that God is totally satisfied with you. That there's nothing you do to add to that work, nothing you do to take away from that work. That Jesus himself in his person is Sabbath. He is rest between you and God, between you and other people. And that is true of you forever. Wherever you go, at all times, in all places, this is the bedrock of how God sees you. Of rest, because my son has done all the work. And enjoy that. One of of my favorite passages in the Bible is in the Old Testament. It's in the prophecy of Isaiah. It's about halfway through the book in Isaiah 25. And Isaiah is looking towards the end of the world. And when we think about the end of the world, normally you think of like, okay, like all kinds of crazy, like, like lakes of fire and like horses that aren't really horses, but they're like locust and things like that. Like crazy stuff. Isaiah says, okay, okay, getting beyond that, what do I see? He says, I see a day when God himself is going to host this incredible dinner for everybody. And it's going to be rich food. It's going to be good wine. And he's going to swallow up death and darkness and pain forever. And he's going to take his hand. He's going to wipe away the tears from all the faces that are there. Everybody. 
And it's going to say, and people are going to say, God has saved us. We've waited on Him, and this is what we've wanted our whole lives. Eternity with God and His people is God popping the cork on some really good wine, enjoying good food and healing and rest together. And God knows that for all the ups and downs of your life, you just need this weekly reminder worked into you that this is what's in store. Because ideally, what is it supposed to feel like to follow Christ and be with Him? Is it a list of expectations and personality traits that we never really like measure up to? Or is it supposed to be about rest and the enjoyment of His people and the goodness of a world that, yes, is broken, but oh my goodness, is beautiful? And the pleasure of simply worshiping God and being with Him. Because you know what that is? That's a taste of heaven, and we just need one day of the week where we get a preview of this massive blowout party that's coming your way. I mean, some of y'all wrestle so much with anxiety and the anxiety over what your future is going to be. Think about how this would affect that. To work hard, be disciplined, and have a day of rest where you can be with the pe- some of the people that you care the most about and worship God and be reminded that if what Christ has done for you is true, and it is, that Isaiah 25 is going to happen to you. That for all the ways that we stress about grad schools and roommates, and the health of people we love, and our parents' marriages, that because of Jesus' work on your behalf, it's not just going to be okay. It's going to be amazing. That you're going to weep tears of joy because all the evil and the sadness and the pain and the darkness of the world is going to be swallowed up. And God himself is going to take his hand and wipe those tears away. And himself, even though he's God, is going to serve you really good wine and really good food. And you're going to enjoy it with people that you thought had no chance. And they're going to be healthy and well. That's amazing. If the Bible didn't give me that picture, I don't think I would believe it. But it does, and so it must be true. And you just need a regular day to participate in that and believe in God's work for us. Because our heart is just naturally cold to this stuff. And as people who've grown up in a meritocracy and been shaped by quest for merit, have that reinforced all the time everywhere, the hardest thing in the world for us to do is to entrust ourselves to a God who says you're not defined by your merit. You're defined by my merit for you and the good things that I've given to you. And we get cold to that and we get afraid and God knows that his people just need a day to soak in the warmth of his presence and one another and be reminded of that. So I want to end with this. Uh, last night at the dinner at our house, we had some of y'all over, and we were talking about like favorite college day memories. And uh, Katie and I were talking about it, and you know our college was almost 10 years ago now, and so we were kind of naming UNC memories. And one of ours so far has got to be like the snow day that we had, like just a, like last week. You got five or six inches of snow, there were three snow days in a row. We were hanging with our neighbors. Like, I literally tended a fire for like three days in a row. It was amazing. Um, and what came on the heels of that? Even better than a snow day is this super warm weather where it's like 65 degrees and people are running in shorts and it's beautiful blue sunny skies and felt like spring had come in January. And yet, if you walked on campus, I don't know if you noticed these or not, but you could go and to like certain parking lots or like the shadow of some buildings and you just see like these big hunks of dirty, nasty snow. 
Then it's like 65 degrees and balmy and blue skies and people are running and smiling and enjoying the weather and there's just like this bleh, like <laughs> huck of snow out there. And it takes forever for that thing to melt. And for some of us, it can just feel like spiritually, I'm lying on this block of ice and cold snow that just is not going to melt. And it doesn't matter that the sun is shining and people are laughing and it's blue and warm and you're telling me that Jesus loves me and everything that's his is mine. Like, I just feel cold to this stuff. What do you say to that? I would say stay in the sunshine and go to the places where the sunshine's brightest and warmest and make that a part of your routine. You will not only find that Jesus is warm, you'll find that he is beautiful. You'll find that he's sufficient for you. You'll find that that block of snow that's inside of you will melt over time. But you just need to be in the sunshine. You need his warmth, and you need the warmth of a Sabbath with him, where you rest and you enjoy the goodness of his creation and the things that he has for his people. That's what I want for you. I think that's what Jesus wants for you. I really think that's probably what you want for yourself, too. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you call us into Sabbath. Thank you that you call us to rest in you, that if you have done everything we need to approach you and to approach with confidence, Lord, that if all of your welcome, if all of your joy, if all of your happiness and warmth is poured into our laps because of Jesus, Lord, that those things are true. Lord, help us to believe that. Help us to live in that. Help us to rest in that. Help us to be wise about how to order our lives so that we can actually enjoy the good things you've given us. The very people in this room, Lord, relationship with you and a good world that you've made and you're redeeming. Help us do that now and forever. In your sense, let me pray. Amen.